Woo-hoo. Come on, one more big hand for our warrior worship team. That was beautiful. Man, I love worshiping Jesus, and I love to be able to see how other people worship Jesus through their creativity, you know? Like, I love how, how God created us so differently and unique, and we don't worship the same, you know? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Don't worry. That's just Brother Will getting some stuff I have prepared. Uh, he's just bringing some stuff up. But while he does that, I want to let you know of three things really quickly. got to let you know of them. First off, you need to know that we do not have midweek service the week of Christmas, okay? No midweek service. What we are going to have is a Christmas Eve service right here on Saturday, the 24th, at 5 o'clock. Everyone say 5 o'clock. It's happening 5 p.m. Don't show up at 6. Don't show up at 7. If you show up at 7, you will be by yourself, okay? You're going to be candlelight in service all alone. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be here at 5, so make sure that you join us on Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day, Pastor Troy will be in the house. He's going to bring presents to everybody that shows up on Christmas Day. No, we're going to have a great time celebrating the Lord. We're, you know, we start at noon, so you can have a great family Christmas and then come on and have family Christmas with us. It's going to be a fun time. And then last but certainly not least, you don't want to miss New Year's Eve at 11 p.m. We are going to begin 2023 in the presence of the Lord, everybody. Come on. I'm so excited about this, but we're going to have... We're going to have a worship night on New Year's Eve. It's going to go from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And we're going to come out of 2022 and into 2023 in the presence of the Lord. So you want to make sure that you're here, you're able to worship the Lord with us. Tell all of your friends. We have people from a, a few different churches coming. All of, all of our campuses will be here. It's going to be a great time in the Lord, so you don't want to miss out on that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm really excited to share this word with you. We, we good? Okay, cool. Yeah, you can just leave this stuff up here if you don't mind. Here, we'll just put this here. Yeah. And then we'll just, no, we'll just lay this stuff down. I'll get to it when, when I get to it, I guess. Thank you. Everybody, Brother Will, come on, give it up for him. If y'all miss, listen, if, if, you guys, if you guys missed this past Wednesday, he preached a message that was so powerful. Oh, my goodness. There was a couple like little nuggets that he dropped and it took, a, it took everybody about five seconds to get it. Like we were just sitting there and then we were all like one collective like, oh, it was, it was powerful, man. It was a good message. And so, man, I'm excited for what the Lord's doing. Um, you know, I have this, this, what I've learned this week, a prophetic word in my spirit for you. I've got this prophetic word and I just believe that the Lord's doing some, um, some significant things going into 2023. Um, but, but the title of my message today is The Righteous King, and my cheat sheet screen is not on, so um, we're just going to see how, how little I really need notes. It's going to be good. Um, but The Righteous King, and what I want to do is, for a few moments is I want to look at this king in the book of 2 Kings, and I want to look at some of the things that he did specifically. And what I believe is that the, word, the Lord has a word for us in our life that we are to raise the standard in our life. We are to raise the standard going into 2023. I believe that the Lord prophetically is asking his people to allow him to raise the standard in their life and to refine their heart. Come on, put up the idea for me if you wouldn't mind. Um, the idea of the message today is allow the Lord to raise the standard and to refine your heart. Now let me set up a little bit of context here. So you see the King Saul, King David, and King Solomon made up what the Israelites, the Hebrews, referred to as the golden age of their nation. 
This was the golden age. This was when the children of Israel were thriving the most. You know, we look at Saul and we understand he had some imperfections, but what he really did for the nation of Israel is he was the first king to come along and and to really establish this kingdom. And then we see David as David grew what Saul built and he grew it even more and he expanded the territory of the Israelites and he created peace for a nation. And then we see King Solomon come on the scene, and we we understand that with King Solomon, under King Solomon's wisdom, the nation of Israel became probably the most powerful nation on the planet in that era, in that day. Man, he was the wisest king. He set up, the Bible says this, that silver was as common as stones in that day. Come on, how many would like that to be your your testimony, right? Silver is common as stones. This is what Solomon created, and essentially what happened is this is the, the golden era of the Israelite people. Unfortunately, what we see after that is the slow demise and downfall of the nation of Israel until ultimately they're exiled to Babylon and they're never the same. I want to look at a few reasons of why did they fall? Why did they slide? Why did they begin to unravel at the seams? And I don't believe that you can point one thing or blame one man or woman and, and kind of single one thing out. But as I was studying this, I noticed something interesting, and I, want, I feel like the Lord is speaking to us through this. If you look at King David, David made one mistake. Everyone say one mistake. He made one mistake, right? Probably more, but we'll just, we'll just blame him for one thing. He allowed the lust that was in his heart to control him. And you guys know what happened with Bathsheba. He saw a woman that wasn't his wife, and he allowed his flesh to take control. And just for a moment, it was just one mistake. Say one mistake. mistake. It was just one mistake. And in that one mistake, what David did is he opened the door for generations that came after him. He opened the door, just ever so slightly, just creaked it open. And what do we see immediately following King David? We see King Solomon show up on the scene, and he is led by his flesh. He is uncontrollably led by his flesh. The Bible says that he had over 700 wives and concubines. And this is what happened just from one generation to the next. What David did in moderation, Saul did in, or Solomon did in excess. What David did in moderation, his son Solomon did in excess. This is what he did. David made one mistake. Solomon made 700. And here's, here's why this was so detrimental. Because what Solomon did is he, he began to marry women outside of the nation of Israel. And as he would marry these foreign women, the Bible, God specifically warned them and said, don't marry foreign women because what will happen is their gods will turn your heart away from me. And lo and behold, God is somehow just always right, right? And that is exactly what happened. As Solomon made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, what he ended up doing is building altars and places of worship in the nation of Israel to accommodate his many wives. And it is in that moment where we find the demise of the nation of Israel begin. And it didn't happen immediately. It didn't happen the next king or the king after that. But over the course of a long, long time and a lot of kings, we see that the nation of Israel falls apart. And what I want to do today is I want to take a look at an individual who did everything in his power to correct, not only just live right before the Lord, but to correct correct the errors of his past and to set up the nation going forward. 
But before we do, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to lead us as we journey on this thing together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. What an honor and a privilege it is to come into here, into this place in Cleveland, Ohio, to lift our voices and to worship and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't take this lightly, Jesus. It is an honor and a privilege to be here and be chosen by God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation into this place today. We ask that you would help us to leave this room differently than when we walked in here because of how good of a God you are. We love you and we bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said amen. 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 This is what we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to look at the person called King Hezekiah. Everyone say King Hezekiah. Now, I preached this message at our men's conference a few months ago, and it, was, it, and it was something that the Lord had been speaking to me. And over the past week, week and a half, I couldn't shake it. I feel like this was bigger than just a men's conference. I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to bring this to the body as a prophetic word and maybe a prophetic warning for some of us that the Lord is getting ready to do some things in our life. And the standard that we're keeping now is not high enough. Like the things that we have in our heart that we're just entertaining and we're content to live with, it's not okay. And it's not okay as, in, as if the Lord's going to punish you for doing it. But what I believe is that the Lord wants to do a deep work in us going into this new year. And we can't carry the things that we have with us now. We have to allow him to refine us and refine our hearts. And so what I want to do is look at 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 4. This is what the Bible says. He removed, talking about King Hezekiah, he removed the high places, everyone say high places, and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, come on, wooden images, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Now, We're going to go through these things, and I believe that the Lord has symbolically for each and every one of us a representation of what these three things mean in 2 Kings here. But first, we're going to talk about the high places. Everyone say, high places. places. Now, in my scholarly attempts, I dug deep into the Hebrew meaning of high places, and do you know what it means? A high or elevated place. (laughs) That's literally what it means. And basically what happened is King Solomon... He erected these high places in in Canaanite worship. They would worship their foreign gods in these high places. And they would go up to uh, the mountaintop or a plateau or somewhere that was elevated and somewhere that was clear so that they can worship foreign gods. And so because of King Solomon, these, these high places were erected all over the nation of Israel. And what happened was the Israelites stopped going to worship God, the true God, and they would go to these high places to worship. And King Hezekiah, the first thing he did is he tore it down. Now, the high place is significant, and you have to understand this, because this is is the reason why the prophet Elijah, he invited the prophets of Baal up to Mount Carmel. This wasn't a random, he wasn't just like, hey, do you guys want to go on a hike while we do this? Let's go up the mountain. No, this was specific. What Elijah was saying to the prophets of Baal was this, you can have home court advantage, and my God's still going to beat your God. That's what Elijah was saying. He, he literally brought them to their sacred place of worship and, and destroyed their God. <laughs> 
It was really cool, right? And so, and so this, is what, this is what these high places were. They're, they're places of worship. And they worship the God of Baal. Anybody heard of Baal before in the Bible? You read it, you hear the God of Baal. Now, the Canaanite deity structure was, they had a lot of gods. They had, the, the scholars believe they had about 70 gods that they worshiped. And the God Baal was the patriarch of all of these other gods. He was like the father of all the other gods. And the Canaanites worshiped Baal as the god of thunder or the god of rain. Now, I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but it's really important that you hear the specifics of what Baal represented. Because if you put yourself in their day, you look at rain, they were, they were an agrarian society, which means that they were dependent and reliant upon their agriculture. They needed to grow crops. They needed water to feed their livestock. If they didn't have rain, they were not wealthy. You know, Pastor Troy was up here talking about wealthy. If he was in that day preaching of wealth, they would immediately think of rain. They wouldn't think of paper. They wouldn't think of a bank account number. They would think of this. Man, if we get a sufficient amount of rain this year, I will be wealthy. And so what they would do is they would pray to the God of Baal to supply wealth for them. And these high places were symbolic of their dependency on the God of Baal. This is why, and again, this is another specific attack. This wasn't random. When Elijah came to King Ahab and said, hey, listen, King Ahab, it's not going to rain until I tell it to. This wasn't a random event that God wanted Elijah to do. This was a specific targeted attack against the God of Baal. Because the entire nation of Israel was worshiping the God of Baal and looking to Baal as their provider, looking to Baal as their source of wealth, their source of income, their source of strength and stability. And God said, listen, you can pray all you want, but don't get it twisted. I'm the one that shuts up the heavens. It was a direct attack against the God of Baal. And this is the question that I want to ask us today. What is the high place in your life that you run to safety and security? Where in your life do you have a high place? This is my kid's little teepee tent. It's going to represent our high place today, okay? But so many of us have a high place. And this is what I want you to hear because you might be sitting there and I don't want you to tune me out because I know there are many seasoned saints in this room. And you'd say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I don't have any high places. Man, you don't understand, Pastor Dominic. My grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was a pastor. I don't have any high places. Let me show you something. King Hezekiah was the 14th king to come after Solomon. Do you know what that means? That means these high places stood where they were at for 14 kings. And not all of those kings were good, but some of them were. The Bible says that some of, some of these kings did right in the sight of the Lord. They did what the Lord wanted them to do, but in the midst of their following Jesus, they had high places. They had idols. They, they allowed these things to linger in the nation. So don't tell me just because you've been sitting in a church seat for 20 years that you don't have high places in your life. I want us to hear this and I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to expose this reality in our heart because maybe for you, your high place is money. Maybe for you, your high place, your security, your strength is found in your bank account. Maybe it's found in your employer. For some of us, it might be found in relationships or, or, or different things, different maybe vices that we have in our life. That when life gets difficult, we run to alcohol, we run to drugs, or we run to this. Those are high places. 
We talked last week on Psalms 23 how he is your source. The Lord is your source, and if you're running to anything else, it's a high place. And King Hezekiah tears him down. And this is what I want to encourage you today, because this is what I felt like the Lord specifically, prophetically spoke to me this morning while I was, while I was on my way here. That if you're here today and you say, you know what, money is my high place, you just feel like money is such a security to you, this is how you break the grip and the hold of money. You ready? I'm going to give it to you in just a sentence. You give it away. You give it away. Because here's the truth. If you're secure enough in your faith in God, you don't have to hoard it. This is, this, is what if, this is what this tells me. If you're a giver in the house, that means this, that money has no grip on you. But if you're somebody who cannot for the life of you, even during Christmas, it's hard for you to buy somebody else a present. If you cannot for the life of you give, that means one thing, that money has a grip around your neck and it's keeping you in bondage. And if you want to break that bond, give it away. Because when you give it away, you say, this isn't my God, you are. So what high places do you have in your life today, church? Hezekiah came in and he tore them down. This is the second thing that I want to share with us today, the Asherah poles. Everyone say Asherah pole. I just have a, a two-by-four from Home Depot. This isn't an Asherah pole. But it represents an Asherah pole because, because what, what would happen in, in those days is there would be high places, right? Remember the high places? But then there would be separately what they called the Asherah poles, and a lot of scholars believe that these were not only wooden structures, but they were also trees. And in the Bible, we won't look at it, but in the Bible, the Lord actually, he, he, he actually commands the children of Israel not to plant Asherah goddess trees in the nation of Israel. But there, there's trees, there's wood, there, there's normally a wooden structure, and it's dedicated to the goddess of Asherah. And this, and if Baal was the patriarch of all of these 70 gods, Asherah was the matriarch. And the nation of Israel's heart was turned from the Lord to Baal and to Asherah. And Asherah represents the goddess of fertility and life. Now, this is so significant, and I really want you to hear me during this part, because I believe that, that, I believe that the church, and not just the church, but the world is under attack, and I believe that this right here is the, is the, the, the root of the, the thought and the attack of the enemy. So I need us to hear this for a second. But Asherah, how they would worship the goddess of Asherah, oftentimes these, the worshipers of the goddess of Asherah would come into the, this wooden pole and they would perform sexual acts and attempt to receive fertility for themselves in their life. Now, now I need you to put ourselves in this context again. Remember, when, you're, when you lived in that day, kids were wealth. You had more hands to help you tend the crops, tend the herd. Kids were, were wealth. They still are wealth, but they were significantly more practical, like, hey, you need to help out now. <laughs> also, they would, they would petition Asherah to, to help bring fertility to their livestock. It was another form of wealth in this day, and so Asherah was the goddess of fertility and wealth. And, and honestly, what we see with Asherah oftentimes is paralleled with this woman named Queen Jezebel. Has anybody heard of Queen Jezebel? And if you've ever been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard messages on Jezebel and Asherah and how the attempt from the, the enemy is that he could get you to fall into the trap of sexual immorality. Has anybody heard that before? Now, that is most definitely the, the, 
the method that the enemy uses, but I have, to under, I have to let you understand something. There are intentions under the method. Can I tell you something? The devil doesn't care if you're addicted to pornography. He doesn't care about that. There's a reason why he uses sexual immorality. It's because when you, when you have an indulgent sexual immorality in your life, then, then the spirit of Asherah and the spirit of Jezebel are able to do a couple things. The first thing, she's able to control you. She wants to control you. The spirit of Asherah wants control. If you look at Jezebel in the Bible, there has never been any queen in the nation of Israel that, was, that had more control or authority than Jezebel did. If you look at the Bible, you'll see that, that the kings were set in place and then they had, you know, they had wives and, and the queens were the queens, but they didn't really have any authority in the nation. Oftentimes what we see is that the king's mother had more political influence in the nation than the queen herself did. We see this in the relationship with King Solomon and his mom, Bathsheba, where he would go to her for advice sometimes. And she had political dealings in the nation of Israel, but the queen never really had any. But when you look at Queen Jezebel and King Ahab, what you see is you see Jezebel ultimately controlling the kingdom as Ahab's just sitting there like a little puppet. Because that's what Jezebel wants to do in your life. The spirit of Jezebel wants to control you. This is, this is what else the spirit of Jezebel wants to do. The spirit of Jezebel wants to remove your masculinity and your femininity. And please hear me when I say this, because this is a specific attack on, on the church and the world today, is that the enemy is trying to, for some reason, flip the genders and take away what it means to be a woman and take away what it means to be a man and say that women, like, like please, somebody explain to me this. Since when was producing a life, carrying life for nine months, giving birth, and then for about a year and a half, feeding this child with your body, since when did that become like second class? Listen, I watched my wife give birth to my son Jackson, and I'm telling you what, this, like I honor this woman like I've never honored anyone else because I don't think I've experienced anything like what I've experienced with Jackson. Like, let me, let me tell you something, when, and, and you don't have to clap for that. Listen, listen, here, this, is, this, is why I'm, this is why I'm saying this, because there's this narrative that's going forth today that says, women, you can't be women anymore. Your, your femininity is less than, and you need to go and be a doctor. You need to go and be a lawyer and work a nine to five. Can I tell you something? Listen, my wife runs her own business. She's successful, right? She makes money. But if she would not hold down the home, Oh my goodness, we'd fall apart. Like I would much rather have her hold down the home. And I'm, listen, I'm not just saying to do laundry and to vacuum and things like that. I'm saying this, that my children need a mother. They don't need two fathers. My children need a nurturer. They need somebody who knows how to love, who knows how to bring up. They don't need two alpha males living in the house. There's no good. I was just the other day, I was like, Listen, this is not good. I was, I was at my wit's end with my son, Judah. He was driving me crazy. And I was getting ready to just like explode. Parents, ever been there? Just me? All right, you're right. I'm ready to explode. And Emily noticed. I took my deep breath in and, I, and she said, I got this. I got this. And she, as the mother, nurtured my son in the way that I never could. Like, like, don't let this world lie to you and say that your motherhood, your womanhood is anything less than. 
we need mothers in the house of the Lord. We don't need you to try to be fathers. We need mothers to nurture, to guide, to, to give advice and counsel, to be there when everyone else leaves. We need mothers to give us a big hug and say, I love you. That's not a second-class thing. That's the most beautiful thing to ever be. Like, like the miracle of birth itself is one of the greatest miracles we'll ever witness. Like, that's powerful. Don't allow the world to twist that. And men, don't allow the world to strip you of what makes you a man. We see in society too often that, that being a man is toxic. Yes, there are some toxic men, but listen, your strength does not make you toxic. Your, your grit, your determination, your will, your, your enjoyment, those things do not make you toxic. We need strong men to lead and to guide us. We don't need these passive men that sit back and don't do anything. We need men to step out and say, you know what, I'm going to be the head of my family, the head of my home. I'm going to lead my family into the righteousness of the Lord. The world is trying so hard to convince you men to be soft, to be soft, to be quiet, to be passive, to sit back and just watch. No. Like, listen, if you're a young, if you're a young guy in this room today, don't listen to any of that garbage. Don't listen to any of that garbage. You're a king, and you were born and put on this earth to lead, to guide Listen, to protect. When, when I talk about the, the amazement that I have with my wife, I am in awe of her. And if you try to lay a finger on her, I will bite your finger off. <laughs> Why? Because I cherish her so much. And men, this is what you are on this earth to do. Not to have a submissive wife to make you sandwiches. No, that's not why you're here. You're here to fight for and to protect that woman. You're here, like, like let, let, me, let me share just a little, little personal something with you. You know, you know, you guys know, I've been in the gym, I've been working out, I've been trying to get a little bit stronger, and I joke around, and I say, you know what, I'm just, you know, it's, I don't want to look sick or all of these things. Here, here's the truth of why I'm trying to get in physical shape, because I want to be prepared to protect my family. I need to be strong as a man to protect what belongs to me, because Emily deserves somebody that can protect her. And, and men, listen, you have to be strong. No options. You have to be strong. If you're a male in this room, you have to be strong. You have to be able to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. You have to be able spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially strong. Not so that you can just be the top dog in the room, but so that you can make sure that all of God's people are protected and cared for. This has been the calling on my life that I've felt so powerfully is I want to be a blessing to the bride of Christ. That's why I'm here. As a man on this earth, my desire is to be a blessing to the bride. But you can't do that if you're weak. You can't do that if you're passive. You can't do that if you're poor. You can't do that if you're emotionally immature. You can't do that if you're not strong. You have to be strong, men. That means this, that we can't put up with Jezebel anymore means we can't put up with Jezebel anymore. You want to know what the third thing that Jezebel tries to do? Jezebel tries to take you out from your covering. She tries to take you out from underneath of your covering. 
This is what we see with, with Queen Jezebel and King Ahab, is that she oftentimes would go, without King Ahab even knowing what she was doing, she would go out from under the covering of the king and live her own life by her own rules. Do you know what that's called? That's called pride. And the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Asherah, wants you to live a prideful life, to say this, I don't need God. I don't need his leadership in my life. I don't need his lordship in my life. I can do whatever I want to do. King Hezekiah tore down every Asherah pole in that nation and symbolically broke the spirit of Jezebel over the nation of Israel. Don't fall victim to the lies and the deception of Jezebel. Amen? Here's the last thing that King Hezekiah did. Is he tore down the bronze serpent. Everybody say bronze serpent. Now I've got a bronze serpent here. And if and anybody knows what this, where the story of the bronze serpent came from, it's mentioned a few times in the Bible, but it's, it's a story of when Moses was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness. Many of you giving me the head nods because you remember this. And basically what happened is the children of Israel, they were being knuckleheads like they often are. They're knuckleheads, you know. And they weren't being obedient to the Lord. They weren't listening to the Lord. And what happened was there were snakes that would come and attack the children of Israel. And they were biting them and they were literally dying. And they were crying out to Moses and said, Moses, will you do something about this? We're dying because these snake bites. And so God gave Moses instruction and he said, Moses, erect a bronze staff and put a serpent on the top. And I want you to put it in the middle of the camp. And when, when anybody gets sick... They should look upon this and they'll be healed. Remember the story? And sure enough, the goodness of God is so amazing that when somebody got bit, they would look at this serpent and they were healed. You know, Jesus mentions this in John chapter 3, I think verse 14. He says, if I be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent, you know, he's, he references the, the, the Moses lifting up the serpent. But, but this is something really interesting that the children of Israel did. They took this incredible miracle that the Lord gave them and they turned it into an idol. They turned it in, if, if you go back to that scripture verse, if you don't mind, go back to the scripture verse in 2 Kings chapter 18. It's all the way at the beginning, Sean. <clears throat> it says this, for until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehishtan. They named it. They gave it a name as if it was a god. And the children of Israel took what God gave them as a gift and turned it into a god. You know, just the other day, my wife was having a conversation with a friend, and she was going on about, well, my wife was trying to invite this, this friend to church, and the, one, one of the friends said, you know what, we really need to go to church because, you know, my kids, they, you can tell they just need the Lord, and, you know, my husband needs the Lord, and, and we just need to get to church, right? And I need, to hear, I need you to hear my heart today because I love the church. I love the church with all my heart. But there are a lot of Christians in this day and age that have turned the church into an idol. Because here's the, here's the truth. That friend that my wife was talking to, they didn't need to come to church. They needed the Lord in their home. They needed to find the presence of God. Yes, the presence of God is here and church is great, but don't get it twisted. This does not get you into heaven. This does not bring you peace. In this, in this room we're in, like if, if, if all you do is go to church on Sunday, like you don't, you don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. Because because for us, the calling is to have the Lord in our home, in our life, every single day. And so often, listen to me, so often we subcontract out what we're supposed to do with the Lord to the church. And we bring our kids to church and we say, hey, pastor, can you raise our kids for me? 
Pastor Trisha, can you raise my kids? Because Can you teach them about Jesus? Because that's what the church is here to do. Hey, Pastor Troy, can you give me a word? Pastor Troy, I haven't, I haven't talked to Jesus all day, man. Can you, can, you, can you let me know what Jesus is saying? Pastor Troy, you can't hire him to live out your faith. You can't pay him to be a Christian for you. And this is so often what we do is we make an idol out of the church and we begin to worship the thing that God placed on this earth to bless us. God placed the church here so that we would be blessed by the bride of Christ and so we could be a blessing. He didn't place the church here so that we could live out our relationship with God for you. He gave us an incredible resource that is the bride of Christ, but we worship it as if it's Jesus. Here's what the Lord is saying to us today, church. Listen to me, please. If we are going to go into this, what I believe is this deeper level, deeper intimacy with the Lord, you have to have a relationship with Jesus outside of these walls. You have to love the Lord. You have to know the Lord outside of this place. You can't rely on this place to be everything you need with Jesus. It can't. It's unfair to ask Pastor Troy to do that. He gets an hour with you a week, but then you, you, you're doing what for the other how many hours there are? Like, we can't do that. We cannot make an idol out of the church. Let's go, go uh, uh, to the, to the ne- yep, right there. Your walk with God has to happen more during the week than on Sunday. You hear me? Your walk with God has to happen more during the week than on Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, hey, you give me a word. Okay, because we're going to practice this because I listen, I love you guys and I know I know it's sweet and enduring and I don't get mad really when when I hear this. But when I walk in, oftentimes I hear, hey, Pastor Dominic, you got a word. You hear this every Sunday, Pastor Troy. Pastor Troy, you got a word for us. And you know what I want to say to people when I ask them that? Oh, I'm, I'm not preaching today. You are. You have a word. Do you have a word for me? Why? Because why is it my job to give you to feed you? I've got I've got I've got a, a, a 10 month old child that I fed yogurt this morning. And I had to feed him. And you're telling me that I got to feed you the same way? No, you're not a baby Christian. Come on. You know the Lord. You need to go get a word. You need to come into this place and and live out your relationship with God and experience him in a powerful way. And then when we come in here on Sunday, we're not here to get something. We're here to celebrate all that we've received in the last six days. That's what this place is meant for. We're here to come in and say, man, Jesus told me this. Jesus did this. This is what happened this week. We're not supposed to be coming in here like dragging ourselves in saying, I'm so thirsty. I just need a drink. Man, the well's open 24-7. Just go get you a drink whenever you need one. Tear down that, that silly idol that we've been worshiping. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with this. I want to I give you uh, three, three things really quickly, and they're going to be fast, but I'm going to close with this. Um, three things that... Hezekiah did to build. So the first three things we went over, he tore these things down. But this is what he did to build, the rebuild. Go ahead, uh, Sharon, next one. This is the first thing he did. He opened the doors. Everyone say, open the doors. Open the doors. See, his grandfather, King Ahaz, what King Ahaz did was he actually wanted to entice the nation of Israel to worship these, these false gods. And so what he did is he essentially welded shut the temple. The Bible says that he closed the doors, but if you look into the Hebrew, it's more like he, he sealed them. He welded them shut. The first thing Hezekiah did was he opened them back up. He opened them up. Here's what the, the temple represented. The temple represented the presence of the Lord. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying to us today. 
open up the presence of the Lord in your life like you've never have before. What does that look like? That looks like every single day before you open up a phone, turn on a TV, open up a book, you open up the doors to the Lord and you say, Lord, you are welcome into this place. Would your presence come and rest with me today? Because listen, if you think the Lord's gonna do anything significant with you without first spending time with you, you're out of your mind. The Lord is not going to do something significant in you if you don't spend time with him. The significance that you receive from the Lord is the time spent with him. You have to open the doors. In the first year of his reign, the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Here's the second thing. You ready for number two? Sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 5, it says this, And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, you're Levite. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. That's a word from the Lord for you today. Take out the trash. <laughs> Take out the trash. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, where's the trash in my life? Because if we're honest, there's some people that have relationships that are trash. For some people, we have entertainment, that's trash. For some people, we indulge in different things, that's trash. And when I said at the beginning, the Lord's raising these standards in our life today, and he can't raise a standard when you got a stinky house, when you got trash sitting everywhere. Take out the trash in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit what needs to be removed from your life. Here's the last thing. King Hezekiah said this, minister to him. Minister to him. Second Chronicles 29 verse 11, it says this, my sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. This is what I want to leave you with today, that you're here not to be blessed, but to be a blessing. And not just to be a blessing to those around you, but you're here to minister to the heart of the Lord. And one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen in a Christian's life is when that Christian realizes that the world does not revolve about, around them, but the world revolves around the one, the one named Jesus Christ. And when you begin to live your life in attempts to please him, in attempts to serve him, in attempts to love him, the Bible actually says this in Matthew 6, that when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, everything else works itself out. So I don't have to stand up here and, and, and try to like manipulate you and say, hey, seek Jesus and he's gonna give you this because, because the truth is you're still kind of seeking that thing. You just now have a different way to get to it. I'm not going to make those promises here today. What I am going to say is this, if that you seek the Lord and you make your entire life about one thing that David said that I might dwell in the house of the Lord and to seek him and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life, when you live your life that way, it is the purpose and function of your creation. It's why you exist. It's why you're here. And I'm telling you this. I promise you that everything else that you're worried about now or trying to make happen now or the ends you're trying to get to meet together, those things will work together for your good. They will. It's a promise from the Lord when you fix your eyes on Jesus. You minister to him. You love him. You bless him with everything that you have. He tends to know what he's talking about. <laughs> We might not see it or understand it, but he tends to know what he's doing. So like King Hezekiah, let's take down the high places, the Asherah poles, the, the weird snake idols that we've created, and let's open up the doors to his presence again. Let's take out the trash from our life, and let's love him well. Amen, church? Come on, do me a favor. Stand to your feet if you, if you wouldn't mind. 
I want to read this idea over you today again as a prophetic statement for us. But as we leave this room today, I want you to allow the Lord to raise the standard and to refine your heart. Come on, let's, in fact, let's lift our hands and let's make that our prayer today. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, would you raise the standard? Would you refine my heart? Search me and know me, Jesus. Take out the trash. I want to live to honor you. In your name I pray. Amen. This is what I want to ask. Before we leave today, I'm going to have my altar minister team come up and I want to ask you two questions here before we leave. If, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, maybe as I was talking, you said, man, I have some of those, some of those poles and high places and idols in my own life, and, and man, I, I want to get rid of those things. You can meet him today, and I'm telling you that when you meet him, you're forever changed. You're going to leave this place differently. If you're here in this room today and you say, you know what, I, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I, I want to turn my life completely around and surrender it to him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask just for you to raise your hand on the count of three, if you wouldn't mind. If that's you here today and you want to give your heart to Jesus, one, two, three, just lift your hand up so I can see it. It's awesome. I see those hands. That's great. That's great. It's powerful. Yep, Beautiful. Amen. That's awesome. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raised your hand, I want you to be really bold now. I want you to come to the front and meet one of our amazing men and women, and we're going to pray for you. Come on, if you raise your hand, I want you to be bold. This isn't, this isn't something to be ashamed of. This is a life-changing, life-altering moment. Come on, give it up for them as they come, church. <laughs> Encourage them. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yep. Because... Because here's the truth. It doesn't matter what the person to the right or to the left of you says. The, the Bible says this, that you're going to stand before Jesus without anybody around you. And it's just you and Jesus. So that's what this moment is. It's just you and Jesus. And he's here today and he wants to introduce himself to you and he wants to love you. Here's the second petition that I want to make today. If you're here and you need any prayer, I know we had a powerful time of ministry before during worship, but if you're here and you need prayer, you need somebody to agree and believe with you, man, we're, be we're believing and agreeing and we want to pray with you as well. I just want to say really quickly, Brother Joe Jenkins, we're believing for your complete healing in the name of Jesus. Come on, right now, just, just speak the name of that person, maybe in your family, your friends. Just, just declare it right now. We're declaring for your healing right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your perfect healing in your mighty name. Hey, church, it was an honor and a privilege to be with you. Remember, if you need anything, we want to pray with you before you leave. Remember to live right, love everyone, and pray hard. We'll see you guys next Sunday.